0: A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe could be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Don't let it be your head laid on my chest. Don't let it be your word against my... Welcome to the third series of The Chronically Fit Show, the podcast where we talk to athletes or sports enthusiasts with chronic conditions. My name's David Savage, and on this series, I am supported by Marcel Patterson, a fitness expert, and as ever, Marla Morkin, a doctor and chronic health expert. On today's show, I'm talking to Fraser Franks. Fraser was a professional footballer who was forced to retire from football due to a heart condition. This interview was recorded just a couple of weeks before the terrible events uh, that befell Christian Eriksson in Parkin. What Fraser had to say was already important, but his story is made all the more horrific seeing the consequences of an underlying health condition, of a heart condition, striking someone so fit and healthy and young down right in front of everybody's eyes. Fraser's message is that everybody should pay attention to their body and with with his own acceptance more than he did himself he's very lucky that he didn't end up in a similar situation to what Christian Eriksen found himself in and he is now working with the British Heart Foundation to try and make sure that that doesn't happen to anybody else. So today I'm chatting to Fraser Franks. Fraser you're an ex-pro footballer not long retired um and you are someone who has a heart condition uh so look thank you first of all for giving up some time to chat to me
1: no thank you for having me on
0: it's a a pleasure to speak to you you retired very recently right
1: it's been two years now yeah 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 relatively it's it's it has flown by those two years but yeah relatively um fresh out of the game
0: um, and you do have a heart condition. Before we get into anything else, what what condition is it that you that you you have?
1: So it's a, a bicuspid valve, bicuspid aortic valve, um, which isn't the you know the rarest of things. I think one percent of the population have got that. So you know when you when you think of it that way, it's one in a hundred people. So it isn't you know it isn't the worst thing in the world. Mine's on a more severe case, um and I've also got a narrowing of the aorta. So um, those two problems combined mean I get a little bit of a leak in the heart and narrowing of the aorta, um, and that was what caused me to retire.
0: Yeah, and whilst you say it's kind of maybe not that rare, it's still reasonably rare, and I imagine amongst pro athletes, it's 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 very rare.
1: I think I think having the two combined makes it really rare.
0: Um, yeah. I think if you take them, if you
1: isolate both of them, then it's probably about one percent of the population. But when you put them together it does make it, you know, the the odds of that happening are, are quite high. Um, but also, uh, yeah, within within professional football and within sport, I think it is uh, it is quite a, a rare one because I can think probably, you know, counting my fingers, the amount of athletes that have had to retire through a, a heart condition probably over the last 10, 20 years. Um, it, it's probably still in single fidget figures or a very low number. So, yeah, definitely mm. within, the, within the world of sport and, you know, fit young men and women, it probably is a, a little rarer.
0: Now, it's not like this was something that you just discovered towards the, the end of your career and that forced you to retire. This is something that you've known about since your mid to late teens when you were signing your first pro contract, right? Uh, kind of,
1: but also also not as well because, I yeah, I was scanned um, as a 16-year-old. And uh, the scan revealed, so we were all scanned, there was 16 you know, uh, young lads going into a youth team. We all got scanned, all got the results the next day. And they just said to me, can you wait in the office? Um, you know, you can't go out to train yet. I was thinking, what's going on here? Like everyone else has gone out to train. And they just said, look, you can't train uh, at all until we figure out what this is. You've got an irregular heartbeat, um, something to come back on your scan that we're a little worried about. So I couldn't get, I couldn't train. Um, there was nothing wrong with me physically. I felt absolutely fine, but they stopped me from training just to be careful. But I couldn't get seen for a good couple of weeks. So the first two weeks of me being a full-time footballer, I couldn't do anything. I felt absolutely fine, and it was really frustrating. Um, but I then got tested and went to to see different specialists, and it came back that I had a, a aortic valve. So just meant that. Um, I think think we all have three uh, main arteries that pump blood into the body and then pump it out of the body. I've only got two that pumps out of the body. So that causes a little bit of clog in the heart and, um, yeah, can cause issues. But I was told at 16 that, um, you know, this can be managed. Didn't have to have any medication. Just keep it, um, you know, keep an eye on it. If I develop any symptoms to come and get checked out, that kind of thing. So I knew I had an irregular heartbeat, but if I'm honest, I I I was sixteen and I just wanted to go back and play football. So I did absolutely no research on it. I just wanted to find out, am I safe to continue playing football? Yes. Okay, then it doesn't really bother me. I've never felt any pain in my heart or chest pain. So I literally just took it, put it to the back of my mind and completely sort of yeah, completely moved on from it really as a sixteen year old.
0: When did it begin to be something that you that you couldn't ignore then? Uh, literally, just when I just a one off incident, really.
1: Um, so I was, I probably should have taken it upon myself to go and get tested a lot more often, which is what I try to advise people to do now. Um, I remember at the time they said I should get it scanned regularly, but um, I think just during my football career and you know I moved around and things happened and it just it wasn't affecting me or making me feel any way I think if I'd had sort of shooting pains I'd have maybe referred back and thought you know I've got an irregular heart maybe I'll go and check this out but I didn't really have any kind of symptoms Um, until I was 28 so 12 years later um, I played the game I didn't feel great during the game Um, I came off the pitch and felt unwell I then went home uh, and I thought I was I thought I was developing the flu, so I had sort of flu-like symptoms where I had a little bit of a racing chest, but I was just hot and cold, so I took myself to bed and tried to sleep, but I was sort of sweating and shivering, that kind of thing, and then I just felt my heart to just beat faster and faster, and it, at one point, it just felt like it was coming through my chest, and then I started to get a little bit more worried, um, and things, yeah, things didn't seem right, and my wife was six months pregnant at the time, we were in bed, and I just said, look, I think, you know, I think something's happening here. I need to go to the hospital. And as soon as I went in there, I think my heart rate was over 140 a minute. Um, so they took me straight through to, to recess. Originally thought I had sepsis. Um, and sort of my condition that night just worsened. And I began to sort of not pass out, but just, yeah, I, it's still a little bit of a blur, that sort of incident there. But the next day I came round, and I felt okay again. I was put on antibiotics, but once the doctors then investigated a bit further and scanned my heart and took various you know, tests on me, they, they'd figured that the narrowing of the aorta was, was quite severe, along with the aortic valve that I hadn't really had tested throughout a whole playing career had also worsened. And um, yeah, their advice at the end or their words were that you're going to need to retire from football. And it's only when I... It's, you know, I'd be lying if I said I felt things during my career, but it's only when I look look back now and I probably think some of the things that I thought were normal maybe weren't, like, I would get dizzy during games and I would get a racing heart and palpitations at times, but just because I thought that was because I was out of breath or I thought everyone had this, I'd never really spoken about it. There were, I'd get dizzy quite a lot when I was standing up at home or, you know, just certain things you look back on and think, you know, was that a little sign or was that just normal? I'm not too sure, but yeah, I definitely didn't worry about anything while I was playing. It was just you know, an isolated incident which um, which could have ended up saving my life because something could have happened later down the line on the pitch, and I wouldn't have had the information I'd known about my heart. and um, yeah, I'm probably grateful that you know, whatever it was, the infection that I caught at that time highlighted the fact that, you know, my heart wasn't in a good place at that time.
0: Is there an element that, I wouldn't say football is, I don't know, I wouldn't say football is necessarily macho, but but you have got a lot of young men, you know, highly competitive. We already know that young men in particular are kind of, you know, more at risk from suicide than other parts of the population because guys don't tend to share how they're feeling or talk about stuff and obviously there's an emotional aspect of kind of dealing with a with a condition but equally physically you probably didn't want to let on how you were feeling I guess if it might affect your chances of getting picked and as you said you didn't know if anyone else felt like this and you probably I guess wouldn't want to let on to teammates if you felt a little bit dizzy or a bit out of breath because you didn't want to show that weakness
1: yeah 100% I think um it's something that I always wanted to hide I didn't especially when I signed for a new club so when you I think at Premier League level, which I wasn't, um, I was at, you know, League One, League Two. When you're at Premier League level, your medicals are so advanced and, you know, you'll have every single answer you be tested because if they're paying 50 million for a player, they need to know every single part of his body works for that money. Whereas when you're in League Two, you get tested um, on your knees and your ankles and that kind of thing. But they don't really do the invasive sort of... Uh, heart checks or lungs or things like that it was only when I signed for Luton Town that I actually had a heart scan so that would have been when I was 23 and I remember I was so nervous going into that because I was thinking I didn't want to disclose anything um and I didn't uh, in the medical so they said to me do you have any kind of conditions and I said no um because I didn't think I was going to get a heart scan actually anyway but I did get scanned, and they went to the uh, they took me to the doctors to get it at the club doctor he scanned me and he he said that some you know something wasn't normal and i said oh i've got an irregular heartbeat and told him a bit about it and um tried to almost distract him from me worrying i just said oh yeah i've had that for a long time it's it's caused me no issues and luckily for that medical I, you know it was fine but that's probably the only time in my career that i was really nervous of i just got my sort of my big break my big move and i thought that this heart condition if i if maybe if people found out about it a little more, maybe it would stop a team from signing me.
0: Do you think, obviously, I'm not going to ask you whether or not you know any individuals and you, you probably don't, but you do think, you know, you said there yourself that it's only a um, a, a few, less less than a handful of people maybe that have, have had to retire because of heart conditions. The sheer number of professional footballers out there, kind of statistically, says says that maybe not heart issues but there are probably people out there with other medical conditions that they're not quite so forthcoming with
1: 100% i think i think also a lot of people won't know obviously and unless you get tested like for instance if i hadn't been tested at 16 i never would have known that i had a heart condition because i had no symptoms again if i didn't get tested um you know at 28 when i had my incident i wouldn't have known if it was a heart condition so I, you know there are bound to be hundreds and thousands of people that are out there with conditions that they don't really know about. And, you know, some will go their whole life undetected and, um, and get by fine. And, you know, not knowing about this condition, but on the other hand as well, there are people out there that um, have conditions that they don't know about and it can be fatal. There's one, mm-hmm. you know, quite a famous one with Fabrice Muamba who had a heart condition and collapsed on the pitch and, you know, almost died or, did die for an hour and, and then was brought back but Mark Vivian Foley is an old Manchester City player, exact same collapsed on the pitch yeah. but obviously unfortunately for him they couldn't bring him back and he passed away on the pitch and there's been a lot of these kind of incidents um, in non-league football or just grassroots football, just you know, young men that, that look fit on the outside and act fit and it is a macho sort of environment but underneath there's yeah, there's underlying issues and A big thing for me is, um, especially in professional football, I feel like everyone should be getting tested. And it's not to say that everyone's going to have to retire like I did if something's wrong, but it's about managing. You know, you can start managing and keeping an eye on things rather than one incident, you know, obviously being fatal like it has been for for a few unfortunate ones.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, look, you played centre-back, right? Yeah. And League One and League Two, it's pretty physical and the heart's can be pretty fragile. So I guess when you got told to retire, it was a complete. It wasn't just stop playing football. It was a complete change of mentality around how you how you looked after yourself, right? Yeah,
1: I think yeah, I, I did find it tough at first. Um, I should say I, I played centre back, and I've been used to you know broken noses and ribs and things like that. But this this was obviously slightly different. When I first retired, um, I had to continue getting scanned, uh, sort of almost monthly just to to make sure things were going okay and then I got introduced to moderate exercise which which helped me because I was in probably in a bad place when I first came out and I didn't go off the rails or anything like that but I was probably doing things I wouldn't usually be doing like sort of drinking at home and you know eating rubbish and you know waking up at late and you know late in the day which I've never done Um, but having that that discipline of exercise being introduced back in really kept me on the straight and narrow I'm someone that You know, I I signed for Chelsea as an academy player as an eight-year-old. So I've had to keep myself fit since, you know, since I can remember. And it's been a huge part of my life. So when it's taken away, I didn't really know what to do. So I think that really helped me that, yeah, I'm able to to carry on doing exercise to, um, you know, to a moderate degree.
0: Did you reach out to any other ex-pros, anyone who also retired? And maybe they weren't going through the same thing as you, but at least they had that experience of, you know, you said there you signed signed for Chelsea or started started youth ranks with Chelsea when you're eight years old through twenty-eight. It's twenty years of your life, yeah. kind of focused on one thing. All of a sudden it stops. You know, I know that people like Clark Carlisle have been kind of quite open in talking about the mental side. And obviously everyone's fully aware that you know, you know, of the tragedy around Gary Speed and so on. But that that piece where something is so much your life and then it stops seems to be a real a real trouble for a lot of pro athletes that, that doesn't get discussed yeah. as much as it could
1: I did try to reach out to as many people as possible but not if I'm honest I, I took my heart condition and that side of it and just literally put that to the side and didn't really want to think about it and didn't really I, I almost just tried to I didn't grieve or anything like that. I've heard people say that you need to grieve when you you know when you're playing career finishes or when you've been had this news that kind of thing I didn't do that at all I just, my next thing was, right, I need to keep busy and I want to know what my next career path is going to be. So I wanted to try and find out, you know, what footballers that had retired had gone into next because I didn't find a huge passion in coaching. And that's like the, you know, the main thing that footballers, like you play football, then you coach football, then you, you know, retire. I didn't have that buzz for coaching. So I was desperate to find out what other industries people have gone into and where they'd been successful and things like that. So I pretty much put my focus in on that side rather than actually looking for help uh, dealing with what had happened to me. And probably just try to brush it aside and move on as quickly as possible. But yeah, I probably should have taken a bit more time to maybe look after myself a little bit more than you know seeing what was next and trying to keep myself busy all the time.
0: So what role does does fitness play in your life now? Because obviously two years on from from that... From that point of having to retire I imagine that you're more aware of your situation or your, your condition now previously but also keen to keep you know it's that it's we've had people on this show before who say it's that that fine balance with your heart where it's kind of you know that you need to exercise to keep it healthy versus you're always slightly worried if you feel something it's like is it just because I've worked hard or is it the condition and that must be a, a difficult mental tightrope.
1: Yeah I've been doing a little bit of work at the British Heart Foundation lately and you know one of the the nurses there said to me that a muscle was a heart she said like it needs to be trained like any other um, so for me they've said to me that cardio is absolutely fine for me um, there's certain weights that I can't do I can't lift anything above my head um, because that interferes with a valve certain sort of hip workouts and things like that I wouldn't do um, so I'm, I feel like I've started to know my body, but exercise and looking after myself is a massive part not not necessarily for, for how I feel physically but my, in my head I know a lot of people talk about it but I think when it has been such a big part of my life for so long I've got a voice in my head that doesn't allow me to let myself go or makes me feel guilty if I don't train or if I eat rubbish or if I have a drink and it's always been there and it doesn't leave me so I don't feel like I've got a choice but to exercise I feel like um, it's something that my the voices in my head, whatever it might be, won't allow me to go three or four days without doing anything, mm-hmm. without those voices telling me that or like shaming me for it. Almost, I don't know how to. It's a strange one because I've, I've spoken to a few people that feel like this, and um, you know, one of my friends always he's got like his own hashtag that says "no choice" because he, we're retired footballers. He's in the same position as me. He didn't retire through a heart condition, but I find myself getting up at five or six in the morning and going for a run when I don't really want to. I want to stay in bed for a bit longer, but I know that if I do this, it'll make me feel better in my head. So I don't feel like it's a a choice that I've got. It's something that I don't know. It's just built in me that I have to do it. Mm. And if I do, I have had, you know, I've been moving house this last month and my routine's gone out the window and I've eaten probably worse and drunk and worse than I have in, in a couple of years, probably. But I also at night get that voice in my head that's like, look at the state of you. You need to go out and run. You need to do this. You need to look after yourself. And, you know, for me, that's only a good thing because it keeps me on that path.
0: And then what kind of role has family played? I mean, you said there that your your wife was six months pregnant when you had to retire. I mean, I, I imagine it's, it's difficult, obviously for you going from that transition to another, but family both wanting to support you and also trying to kind of, understand and give you space and, and, and give you time to to make the adjustments that you've needed to make. No, I th- I think that was probably the best thing for
1: me. That as soon as I came out for football, I had an initial focus. It was my first child and that just gave me just gave me something to look forward to straight away. And that was all new. Um yeah and that was probably the biggest blessing that I could have taken out of it. I think my family, I remember my wife in particular was like really worried about me. Um, not necessarily my health but what I was going to do next like I'd only ever played football um so I know she was really worried that you know about my mental state and what was you know what was going to do how I felt um along with my mum uh, but yeah they supported me you know 100% and really looked after me in those days I think you know my wife's a good one she's quite strong on me so when I had those initial days where I was maybe having a few too many drinks or laying in bed, she would make me get up and, and give me a little, you know, kick up the backside that I needed at times. So no, they, they 100% got, got me through it. Um, yeah, and I was, lucky to, I was lucky to have a lot of good people around me.
0: So what are you, what are you doing with the British Heart Foundation?
1: So I'm doing, uh, I've actually been, well, I got given the news uh, about two months ago that I'm, I'm gonna actually need open heart surgery. Um, so when I retired, it was a case of getting scanned regularly, um, and hope. Well, there was a, there was a hope that I may not need an operation and that it would just be fine. But it's it's. I developed a few symptoms uh, about about a year ago where I was getting a bit breathless, a lot, a, a bit wheezy. Went to the doctors and thought it was maybe asthma. My mum's asthmatic, um, and they did give me an inhaler and it helped that kind of thing. But then I started to really struggle breathing at night um, and I, they sent me to a cardiologist who looked at my scans and said it's it's you know gotten a little bit worse and said to me that within the next couple of years I'll need open heart surgery um, so I'll need my valve replaced with a mechanical one you, you get the, the you get the choice of a, a pig or cow skin valve or a mechanical one which is like a carbon fiber one the pig or cow one lasts for 10 years and then you need open heart surgery again so with older older people, possibly, you go and you do that and you have the pig or the cow. It lasts for 10 years. You don't need any medication. Um, so that's an option for maybe the elderly or people like that. With me, where I'm 30, I'm going to need maybe four or five operations if I live that long. So for me, the carbon fiber options is the one. But that also means that you need blood thinners. So you need you know, daily medication for the rest of your life. Certain you know dietary and drinking things that you have to adapt to, and certain lifestyle style things you have to adapt to. So that then put me in touch with the British Heart Foundation. They want to actually document my experience. So when I go through the operation and the recovery, that kind of thing, they want to help me document it because one of the first things that I did when I came out was go on YouTube or go on Google to try and see who's got who's had this operation before. Um, you know, what kind of things happen afterwards? Can I do this? Can I do that? And every video that I clicked on was someone in their 60s or, you know, someone that was in a was in their 50s but was maybe overweight or just not someone that was relatable to me. Um, so I spoke to them and I said, Look, a lot of young people have this. Um, I want to be someone that they can see evidence, basically. If they've got a video diary of me beforehand looking you know i feel quite fit and healthy at the moment i do need this operation then i've got to go in um and then hopefully recover okay and you know get back to leading a, a relatively normal lifestyle i think it'll be a good reference for for other people to have so that was one i wanted to do and then tuesday i'm doing my first uh sort of talk um with the british heart foundation they've got a they've got an 18 to 30 year old group of people with all different kind of heart conditions and they get together once a month um so I'm going to be a a guest on that uh on Tuesday um so yeah I'm really I'm really looking forward to it and again it's probably it's two years on now and I feel ready to start talking about things and ready to start accepting the condition that I've got and maybe you know helping other people with it whereas before Mm. I don't think I was ready to I know the British Heart Foundation actually reached out to me straight away and I dismissed it Didn't even respond to an email or anything like that because I just wanted to move on. Whereas now I'm a little bit, you know, further along my journey and know that that's, you know, for me that's the right thing to do and something that I really want to do.
0: Yeah, and look if it's if it if it adds to it, you know, I'm I'm a little bit older. I'm 36, but equally when I got my diagnosis and realised I had to make changes and whatever else, I looked for people, yeah, like you that you could go. All right, hang on a minute. If this person's still doing stuff. And this person's still doing stuff. It doesn't mean, and there is often that case that a lot of people, you you know, chronic chronic illnesses tend to be uh, a, a larger proportion of older people than younger people. So it's it's great that you are you are talking and adding to that community because there will be lots of people who get a diagnosis who look for that for a bit of inspiration.
1: Yeah, I, I just think it's it's a bit of peace of mind as well. I think that was the main thing. You just you want to know, especially people that, are, that fitness and you know health is a big part of their life they want to know that they can do certain things afterwards. And obviously some conditions are different to others, but if someone's got what I've got and they see me riding a bike or going for a run, then it, hopefully it, it sort of eases a little bit of the worries. And I think my, the main thing that I initially worried about was this medication that I'm going to be on for the rest of my life. um, It's like the blood thinners. And I think the more I've spoken about, spoken to people about that, it doesn't seem as daunting to me anymore um you know if you get it right it's one tablet um you know you need to get your blood checked initially it's every week but then it goes to every month or every three months. so i think when you first get told something it can be a very overwhelming and you just want to look for someone relatable and yeah hopefully i can be that to someone else
0: yeah absolutely look fraser it's been amazing to chat to you today thank you so much for giving up some time one last thing bit of a cheeky question why not who's going to win the euros go on I've got to say England, haven't I? I've got to be patriotic. I said I've got, I haven't bought an England
1: shirt since I was a kid, but I went and got like the the 82, uh, is it 82 euros or the World Cup kit and I got my little girl one as well. So now I'm looking forward to watching it and it's the only time I really get into my football and passionate about it. So yeah, I've got to go be patriotic and say England.
0: Absolutely. I suppose you've got many different club allegiances now, but you can you can always be completely partisan about England.
1: Well, I was playing for Newport when I retired, and I've got you know my daughter was born in Wales, so I've got a little all oh, right <laughs> a Welsh daughter now, so she can be. So my you've little. not
0: even got glaresy there. Oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, look, it's been a pleasure to speak to you, uh, and thank you for your time. No, thank you, David. Cheers. Man. Right, Marcel. I I know that you love football, so. I kind of thought this one might appeal to you slightly.
2: I really enjoyed listening to this one. This was the first one I actually listened to and I thought, right, if this is setting the benchmark well for all of them, it's going to be a great series.
0: Um I think it's absolutely Well, first of all, I think it's mental that he he had a condition when he was 16 years old and then he didn't get it checked out. But Marla, is that less mental than I think? Is that, to me, as soon as I realized that there was something wrong, I wanted to arm myself with as much knowledge as I possibly could. And over the, the, the last three series or two and a half series up to this point, that seems to have been exactly what everyone does. They get ill or they get a diagnosis and they try and find out as much information as possible. Fraser didn't do that. He just wanted to play football and he's actually that, perhaps more typical of a lot of people than I think
3: oh gosh everyone is so different isn't it but Fraser's story really stood out to me because I actually had a family member who had exactly the same story as this so is I mean he wasn't a pro footballer but living their life and you find out that you've got a bicuspid, bicuspid aortic valve right which you'll live with normally and I just think that if you are living with it then you find out you have it it's very difficult to to try and change because you're coping with it. I actually see that a lot of the time when people find out they've got almost like a, in quotation marks, hidden condition, it's sometimes harder to accept than the ones that you can see, feel, live every day. So um, yeah, really interesting to hear his story. I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed listening to this one, actually.
2: I think as well, what struck me is that A 16-year-old boy, his dream his whole life has been to play football. If anything's going to stop you from doing that, then you're going to ignore it if you get given the option. I think what struck me is that he said he was tested at 16 and then they found this irregular heartbeat but said, you know, two weeks later, you can carry on. And then he didn't really seem to get any regular scans from there. I would have thought that the clubs would have some responsibility maybe to make you get a scan once a year or something like that, which didn't seem to be the case. He didn't get... scan again until he went to, I think it was Luton at 22. So I think what's the point in doing the scan at 16 when these players are starting out professionally, if the clubs aren't going to enforce anyone who does have an issue that comes up to then have a regular test or a regular scan or, or, you know, to monitor the condition. I think if the onus is on a 16 year old boy, they're not going to force that because they don't want anything to ruin what could potentially be a very long and fulfilling career.
3: But Marcel, do you not think um, that, that in this country, especially when we've got the NHS, it, the employer's responsibility for healthcare care is, is completely different and sometimes non-existent than you would have in, for example, America or any other countries where it is a, you know, a, a, the responsibility of the employer to pay for the insurance of the of the employee, etc. So, what incentive does an employer have in the UK when you know that the government will pick up the pieces? Essentially, mm-hmm. I guess
2: I just think with sport because we're potentially going to be putting these people on a stage in front of fans, in front of supporters from the age of sixteen onwards. And although they're rare, you do see these cases where people have sudden cardiac arrests on the pitch or on the field. You know, it's happened in various sports, basketball, football, there's been cases. And although they're rare, they're devastating when they happen. And it's actually quite an ordeal for everyone who's involved, whether they're watching, whether they're the medical team, etc. And I just think that the, the consequences of not taking that responsibility... Can be quite big, so that's where I think potentially these clubs, if they are going to be encouraging these players to start at such a young age, maybe do need to take a bit of responsibility because I think a sixteen-year-old boy or girl is probably not going to take that if it means they're jeopardising their career.
0: I think it's really interesting as well because you you kind of allude to a point there that he was with Chelsea from the age of eight. He wasn't training and pushing himself necessarily to play championship league one league two football um his fitness levels and his ability to push himself to that point would have been the same as anyone who went on to the premier league um and i suppose that could unearth or could exacerbate any underlying health issues but then you go down the football pyramid and i suppose this is probably true in lots of forms of elite sport and the infrastructure and the resources aren't there to look after the players in the same way
2: but that's the thing I think it all comes down to money doesn't it that these lower league clubs unfortunately can't afford to do these testings that the Premier League clubs can do obviously they'll be getting tested you know every week for various different health conditions and fitness levels etc but the lower league clubs can't afford to do it but I wonder if that's where someone like the FA needs to step in and, and kind of provide a bit of funding to you know potentially avoid what could be a catastrophe on the field
3: hmm.
0: Just with regards to the, um, I suppose, the the change in his life where all of a sudden he's gone from playing football to not being able to play football to not even being able to lift weights above his head to being told that basically he can do light cardio only. Um, Marley, you've got to be in situations where you've spoken to, to patients who've gone from being able to do a whole range of different things and all of a sudden you're told to stop. How, you know, he had his wife... Fraser had his wife to give him a kick up the ass when he needed it. He said that himself. Mm-hmm. But do we do enough to help people in those situations? You know, no. we see a lot about ex, <laughs> ex-professional sports people who suddenly, you know, uh, are prone to suicide or suicidal attempts. But I suppose it's not just elite sports, it's everyone, right?
3: This is such an important topic. And the word like fear comes into my head when we whenever we talk about this because if you tell someone that they've got to slow down on their activity levels what do you hear when you're in that room you hear if you overdo it you could kill yourself that's what you hear right you hear oh if i do something then this could really damage me and that striking fear into people is not at all intentional but we as you know as healthcare professionals as People that work in the healthcare industry need to acknowledge that sometimes the words that you say have long lasting, that wording you use has long lasting impact on a patient. And so I, I agree. I don't think we give enough support uh, like about like how you can change the way you live, whether it's diet, exercise, sleep, anything, that everything else around it but we definitely tell people how to take their medicines and i just think that there's like a huge mismatch in between like what actually people take away from consultations so yeah i i'm all up for giving more guidance when it comes to this to people
0: well look i think um i think we'll wrap up uh this particular episode but marcel marla thanks for joining me um marcel if anyone wants to find out more about exercise maybe some different types of exercise that would help kind of low impact and low inflammation what's your instagram handle
2: it's at marcel underscore fitness
0: underscore thank you you're gonna get really bored of saying that
2: <laughs> like, i hope i'm saying it right <laughs> Imagine if I'm yeah. gonna... <laughs>